says, get that India, big boy. Good morning, my name is John, but most of you know me as 4020, and uh, this is the tip sheet, and joining me this morning is my good friend at 60s. 60s, mate, it's not a great one, it's a bit of a somber one, but um, how you doing? Well, mate, obviously, I'd be doing a lot better if we were talking about a, a win today. You can probably hear from my the, voice. The battle the, scars in the voice. The, bat- yeah. the battle scars from last night. Uh, I, I certainly didn't let up in letting anyone out there know who I was back in during the game. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I'd much rather be talking about a win today, but uh, that's that's footy and uh, we've got quite a bit to cover. Uh, can I just also say, and I'm going to get on the front foot with this, I've been reading some of the social media reactions from, and I'll use the inverted comma, supporters of the Parramatta Reels today, mate, they can all piss off the the people that are that couldn't get behind the team before the game mm. at different points during this season, and then especially after last night, when I really don't think that the boys left anything at all in the tank. Well, we will get realistic when we're talking about the loss, but anyone that I almost think some of these people delight in a, a loss for the team that they purport, purport to support. And they should just look up the word support in the dictionary because they barely got a bloody shred of it in their bodies. That's all I've got to say on that, mate. I mean, I sympathise with fans that are frustrated that the drought extended for another year because, you know, it does suck. I mean, I'm, an, I'm a bicentenary baby. I've never seen the Eagles win a premiership. So, you know, I was there for the heartbreak and against the Knights and the heartbreak against the Melbourne Storm. And obviously, you know, the finals campaigns that pitted out before the grand finals in between. But I feel like there's legitimate reasons why you can criticise this team. Obviously, we've done that in the podcast and on oh, TCT. Yeah, of course. Of but yeah, you got to look at the context of the season. And, uh, you know, a, a, a huge part of the reason why Penrith, you know, right out in front was because they stayed healthy in the key positions. I mean, they had Api Coruscant miss one game at one point and maybe Corey missed one game at one point. If I don't know if Corey missed a game, so yeah, and the the Eels unfortunately, you know, while none of their spine players had a long term injury, I know Mitchell Moses came close. They, you know, they were banged up here and there. You had Dill out for five weeks at one point. You had Moses out for three or four weeks with an injury that lingered deep into the season, and unfortunately, it destabilized the platform. So we'll, we'll get into that now, probably you know yeah. today and, and into an overall season review podcast later. But um, for the time being, let's probably just jump into the game. So. Oh. There as well, mate. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not um, completely um, immune to all levels of disappointment. As I walked out of the ground, there was a part of me that's going, "I'm, I'm absolutely sick of this shit." Uh, it would be just good to have uh, to be walking out at this time of year feeling some wins. So, <laughs> mate. Oh, I mean, anyone, anyone that accuses you of, of not of not feeling the hurt and the pain would be, you know, out of line. Oh yeah, it, abs- it absolutely stings. Oh, I'm yeah. There's, 
uh, yeah, I've seen Parramatta win titles. I've been to every single grand final that Parramatta's played in, win or win or lose. Uh, and I'm sick of waiting for. Uh, <laughs> you know, there's there's a part of me that is absolutely sick and tired of waiting for the next title. But the the reality of where the team is at now, from where it was at, from the uh, Stephen Curdy and Ricky Stewart years is just, it's light years apart. And it, if anyone can't see where we're trekking right now, then uh, I don't think they understand rugby league because it is, it's poles apart. The club is positioning itself as a regular finals. Uh, well, I'm not going to say the word contender, but a regular, they're trekking, they're heading towards being regular finalists mm-hmm. and while ever they do that they're gonna, they'll keep themselves in the mix so uh, again I'm not immune to the disappointment that that fans feel but to not find support for this team and to and to not acknowledge what they have been able to produce in the in in the recent years is um I, I just I'm stunned. I'm stunned at the blaming. I'm stunned at the people who are prepared to literally throw out the baby with the bathwater when it comes to taking the next step. It's the next step is there within reach. The, the, some of the blaming and the criticism is is just beyond belief. I, I'm sorry to start the pod with this, mate, but it's I'm, it's something I am really really fired up about, and. I it, it's it's something that I if I didn't get off my chest at the start of this podcast I, I don't know that that I would have been able to, to go on without it exploding at some point uh, during our, our our chat this morning. I mean, tangentially, you raise a very interesting point because the loss uh, does set up a blockbuster off season for the the Parramatta Eels. They have to make a lot of moves and have to be you know on the forefront and on the foot on the front foot. Of a uh, of roster, you know, strengthening because they're in a spot where, like you said, they're now perennial finalists, and they want to take they want to take that next step. And you had, uh, you weren't uh, you weren't listening to the broadcast like I was, but you had in the post game Cooper Cronk just talking about how the Eels just just need to go out and recruit a premiership winner now, you know, like it's so easy. But I don't think the Eels can afford that luxury. You know, a they're not the Roosters, <clears throat> like uh, Cooper Cronk's second employer. Um, but B, also the market's a little bit bare this year in terms of off-contract, you know, premiership winners that are going to make an impact. I'm sure you can go get a Gerard Bill if you wanted to have a premiership winner, but there's a there's a nuance to signing a premiership winner. <laughs> but yes, um, this is a, a big one for Parramatta Reels, and we'll deal yeah. with, we'll deal with that in a you know a sort of I'm not sure if it'll be the season review podcast, but more like a look ahead to 2021. But yeah, yeah I think I think it's. I think there's a place for it when we look at a season review podcast uh, later this week, <clears throat> because uh, it is a critical off season, and recruitment is going is is uh, has to be a big part of that. So whilst the core of the team will be there, there was a, a long list of eleven players, players that were announced were last farewell. night, yeah, as as being farewelled. Uh, a couple, uh, quite a few expected, a couple unexpected, and uh, that's it. Probably is worthy of uh, an individualised uh, podcast 
yes. individualised tip sheet. Uh, and uh, hopefully... I might see if I can rope Bernie into, uh, rather than a, a preview that we'd planned for uh, this a week, a uh, season review yeah. with with Bernie. So yeah, watch this space. Yes. So lots of um stuff for the club to formalise in the coming days as well in terms of those players departing. So... Yeah, we'll wait yeah. and see when that is made actual. Obviously, it was made formal at the ground, but when it's made formal by media release. Yeah. All right. Let's break down all the action from last night. So, as you will be well aware if you listen to this podcast by now, Primarials fell victim to the South Sydney Rabbitohs for the second time this year, but did farm, did so in far more competitive circumstances last night as they lost 38 to 24. Um, this game started under the, the pretext of one of the most bizarre circumstances I've ever seen with. Um, Paramount Eagles losing probably their their most important member of the back line. We're not not you know talking about Quentin Gufferson because he's part of the spine. Um, at six thirty in the morning, Michael Jennings had his door kicked in by uh, it wasn't Asada, it was uh, Sports Integrity Australia, Sierra, I think. Um, he was uh, the uh, culprit of a guilty a a, te- a test. I'm sorry, uh, from two months ago, which has finally come through rather. Weirdly, on the morning of a, a sudden death final, and yeah, so he tested positive for the same steroid that I believe James Segiari tested for, and I think there was talk about a human growth hormone as well. So uh, Michael Jennings put out a statement later in the day, uh, stringently defending his innocence, and that he will come, he'll fight the charges. But unfortunately, with these sort of things, a lot of people claim their innocence, and almost invariably, will end up losing the fight, whether they are innocent or not. Uh, it's just the nature of the drug test and it, you know once it comes back positive it is very hard to see it as anything but uh, you know a drug cheat so we, we will hope that Michael Jennings can fight and win this battle but even if he does it's going to take years so he's probably done for paramaterials unfortunately so that put uh, I was going to say that put a huge <laughs> dampener on the morning um, I, I was actually asleep when it, uh, the news broke because I'd been looking after a castrated puppy and he didn't had slept well, and it was you who rang me and said, "Have you seen the news, Forty? And I was like, "What are you talking about?" But yeah, that yeah. obviously put the eels in the back foot from the get go. And Hayes Dunster was, you know, hauled in, and uh, I dare say about seven o'clock or eight o'clock in the morning, he probably found out he was going to make his debut in the NRL in a sudden death final. And um, yeah, the eels went from there. And I, I know that in the uh, pre-game, Brad Arthur was talking about how the boys responded, like you know, positively to the adverse circumstances and. There was an energy in the change rooms that he hadn't seen, if ever, in his tenure at the Eels. And you, you could see that in the first half. The boys absolutely responded. But uh, I think it just ultimately put just another bit of pressure that was perhaps the, the straw that breaks the camel's back, in a sense. Yeah, so what uh, you've got the key stats from the game, mate. Yeah, so you had uh, <clears throat> in the 38-24 uh, loss, you had Quinton Gufferson getting a double alongside a George Jennings double. Um, Mitchell Moses was perfect off the boot when it came to the try conversions, but unfortunately had a, a costly missed penalty conversion, which will break down the chaos of that particular event because there's a lot to go from that one event. Uh, on the flip side, you had Jackson Paul having a double for South Sydney. Uh, he was joined by Liam Knight, Cameron Murray, Bailey Sirinan, and Damian Cook. Like Moses, and I feel like this has been this, the, the case for the last couple of weeks. Um, the, the kickers have been perfect off the tee. Adam Reynolds was six from six for... <clears throat> try conversions and he was one 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 from one for penalty conversions. Um, South Sydney ended up winning the possession battle fifty four to forty six percent. Time of possession was twenty eight nineteen to twenty four oh seven in favour of the bunnies. Uh, completion rates once again the eels on top of their opponents. Eels clocking in at seventy seven percent with thirty completed sets from thirty nine. The bunnies are only at seventy one percent with thirty completed of forty two. 
Um, given that the Bunnies had that uh, significant leverage in possession on the back of that second half, they um, sort of ended up winning out all the key attacking some stats, as you might may think. Um, ahead on all runs, 188 to 165. Ahead on all metres, 1820 to 15-11. Um, nine line breaks to five. Uh, only just ahead in tackle breaks, 27 to 22. Average set distance about five minutes more than the Eels, 43.3 to 38.8. And uh, the... And once again, in a, in a negative indicator, the Eels actually won the play the ball speed for, I think, the second or third time in the season. 3.41 seconds to 3.6 seconds. And as if the other circumstances when we've won the play the ball speed, we end up losing the game, which is just a, a bizarre... Like, I don't know if there's correlation or causation there, but uh, and I severely doubt there is, but that is just a crazy stat that we never never win the play the ball speed, but when we do, we lose the games. Um, yeah. Just going through... Uh, Defensive stats are about the same. Um, effective tackle rate was 86.3 for Parramatta and 87.2 for South Sydney, so not particularly gaudy numbers for either team. <clears throat> Souths uh, made less missed tackles, 22 to 27, but more ineffective tackles, 27 to 21. And then in terms of errors, Souths made 16 to Parramatta's 12, conceded three penalties to Parramatta's two, and only conceded uh, four ruck infringements to Parramatta's five. And that takes us through the... Team stats, 60s? Yep. Um, well, look, we have to jump into the causation of the loss. And for me, if I was just to sum it up across the game, before we get into into key moments, uh, <laughs> it actually was a matter of uh, Parramatta making far too many errors at the wrong time. Mm. Uh, and... And when I say far too many errors, what I mean is we were punished for those errors. If, if when we made, like when we made yeah, an error, took full we, yeah, we, we had to we we paid the cost very very soon after making those errors. So if you if you talk about being able to control that that which we could, you'd have to say that at the at the moments where we made an error, we we paid a penalty and full marks to the South Sydney Rabbitohs for being able to take advantage of those moments. And they were very good at sweeping straight into attack on the back of errors. Um, so unfortunately, there's a, a huge chunk that fell into our hands. That we're not going to – there's no way of sugarcoating that. Uh, it, it's not to say that there weren't some things that were out of our control, uh, a couple of significant moments as well, but in the context of the home of, of the entire game, it was very much like the week before where if if we had made maybe two or three less errors at, you're at in, certain points... You're in the box seat. You're in the box seat, yeah. yeah. And uh, I, I want to start off with... Um, because there's no ignoring it, the missed penalty conversion by Mitch Moses. Now, I can I can live with a, a player missing a conversion because it's the nature of that position. It, it, his kicking prior to that, you couldn't have asked for more in a final. He the, drilled, the drilled four from the sideline. Yeah. Yeah, or three yeah. from the sideline at that point in the game. He kicked the fourth later. Yeah, yeah. So it, it's hard to criti- be right, critical let's, there. Let's get in the front let's, foot. Of that and yeah, yeah. Let's. I was going to say there is there is something else to play out on that. Now, before we play out 
down uh, in, in terms of where there was elements of that that were out of our control. First of all, there's an element that was in our control. So I'm yes. not I'm not as critical of the of the Moses miss as I am oh, about where the team was yes. lined up. Yeah, and for that is, kick. This is, I mean, I know that the commentators bring it up every goddamn time, but it's for a good reason. And Ray Price did it for a very good reason: is that you don't turn your back on a penalty conversion until it goes through, and and that was yeah. that is that is like teaching tape right there for every team in the NRL. You know, it wasn't a, a hugely difficult conversion, but there was enough of an angle that, you know, even if it was from directly in front, you still shouldn't do it because if Moses slips on the bank west turf, which is done before, you know, and he ends up drilling it into the posts, and it comes back, you know, you got to have people awake. And unfortunately, well, mate, yeah, you know that you know that there's there's been two aspects of this that I've spoken to you about in the past. One is as as you're saying, not having players ready for a, a a kick that doesn't quite go right, that can see up uprights and bounces back, you you should be in the prime position to be able to recover that and go straight on the front foot yep. with your attack. But there is the other side, which I know that you're about to go into, yeah. that I've covered with it, you it, in the past. And so let's let's break this down from the start. So you have the parameters on the charge with a, another sensational bit of footwork from Junior Paula, who is running like a, a fullback, let alone a centre. Um, he is... You know, just so light in his feet for a man that is 120 kilos plus, and he was so good last night. And you know, oh, yeah, he, he, we he will not, get on to him. He did yeah, not deserve him. to lose. Um, he he can hold his head high. And there are some players that we're going to you know put on blast. I think today as well because they did not have great games. But he makes this fantastic move where he, I believe it was uh, Cody Walker who just completely whiffs the tackle, and he 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 almost splits the front line, and he he gets a fast play of the ball, and he's on his feet, and Damien he's literally on his feet and is playing the ball. And Damien Cook comes in and knocks him off his foot in one of the most blatant professional fouls you will see. Should have been instant sin bin. I don't think there's a, it's up for debate. It should have been an instant sin bin. But the referee says, no, no, no. I could held uh, Damien, um, you know, and you, you can't affect the play of the ball. And so the Eels get a penalty instead. And there is an argument now that the Eels shouldn't have gone for two. Um, and like, sorry, this isn't with the benefit of hindsight. This is the benefit of like talking about momentum where. Uh, the two is playing not to lose almost, and I know it equalised the score at twenty all, but you know you sort of want to put your foot in the throat at times, and I don't know that that there's. Some... I, I think they would have been perhaps even more criticised if they uh, had not gone for the I goal mean, and had I, I, you're absolutely, to a try. absolutely right. But I will never be upset at our at our team if they're down by two in that sort of circumstance, going for blood. I, I it's just that's me. I will never be obviously unless it's you know over the last seconds of a game. And you feel like you've got the advantage going to Golden Point, but uh, I will, I'm, I'm always up for the team to back themselves to score. But you know that that's the reality of the situation. They took the mathematically safe option, um, looking at their level of scores at 20 all. So, and then we get into the point where we we're talking about earlier. Mitchell Moses lines up the kick, and he hits off off the left upright, and we now get the bounce. So here's the factors that are at play here. He approaches his kick, and this is something you. Funnily enough, we actually couldn't have invoked this because the ball stayed live the entire time which is super frustrating, but he wa- he walks in for his kick. And as he walks in for his kick, the entire South Sydney defensive line walks inside the 10 metres, which is a breach of the, the actual protocols, which should have facilitated a second attempt at goal. So, and this is something that 60s have raised with me off the podcast a number of times, I think prior to the Brisbane game even, um, you're talking yep. about how if um, you ever miss a penalty goal, 
the, if the team's got the challenge available, they should just immediately challenge it and say, ref, the uh, entire team was offside while I was kicking my penalty attempt and I will take a reshot. Thank you very much. And that would have been... Actually, uh, unfortunately, I think, now I could be wrong, but I, I, I don't know that you can challenge no, an because, offside call. Oh, that's also true. To make yeah. the, instead, instead, what you need to be doing, and this is a, this is a tough ask for the, the kicker like Mitch Moses, is you have to be pointing out to the referee Prior as you're lining kick. it up yeah. that you ask him, could he please keep an eye on the on the South yeah. Sydney defenders, which uh, it shows or you, any defenders as you're as you're coming in, because it, you say I suspect they're going to about to be offside. That's right. And should I miss this kick, I want another kick. But it so shows you just how like a lot of the stuff at the six again and all the stuff they ushered in this year, how half baked it was. That we've we've run into these weird quirks of the challenge system where you can challenge some stuff but not every like everything, and yeah. it, it's like why have it in place if you're not going to you know allow teams the full gamut of power that it should be entitled to with that system. So that's the first part is that Moses should have been entitled to a re kick because South Sydney were inside the ten meters when he struck the ball. The second part, and this is a something that I don't necessarily agree with. And, and just before you get to the second part, this is. Every team guilty of that. Every team that we watch encroaches that oh, ten meters. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm almost, like you know, I'm, I'm certain Paramount are guilty of it too. But it, no one's been really on the bo- on the ball to you know point it out. And it feels like just yeah. all you go say to to Sutton or Cummings or Klein is, uh, you know, mate, like I know that <clears throat> they're probably going to approach encroach inside the ten. So if I miss my kick, can you just be aware of it? And you know, and that that's it. And It'd be on onus the other teams to say the same thing to the referee when we uh, when we're defending a penalty kick, I suppose. Yeah. And then, so then you have the Eels not in situ, like not prepared for it. And I think it was Brad Takarangi that tries to shield the ball and and get there. And uh, I know that some fans believe that Jackson Paul illegally batted the ball forwards to an advantage. I think that probably wouldn't have held up on any sort of review because he was sort of there was he didn't bat it over anyone really. He sort of batted it forwards through the defensive line. And yeah, and so from there, um, you had the Eels reeling and they were scrambling down the field, and it culminated in in, in uh, Damien Cook, who shouldn't have been on the field, setting up a try off his boot with a, a little left foot kick that Guffo should have t- like tapped down, but he tried to scoop up and he got popped as he got the ball in his hands, and it, it flew up perfectly for uh, I was uh, I'm losing myself the Sirenin, uh, Bailey Sirenin, I believe it was who scored that that try. Yep. Yep. And that that really was where the game was lost. I think it was an eight point turnaround. It was an eight point turnaround. It was and more than that. It was a backbreaker. And the Eels, you know, eventually did fight back into the game during the last, you know, uh, uh, 10, 15 minutes. But chasing two scores from there, they had to take risks. And we saw Dylan Brown get intercepted, and and, and from there, Dylan unfortunately had a little implosion, which is very unlike him. He had a you know a drop ball and uh, just couldn't quite ignite the left edge there. But yeah, yeah. that. Like I said, you, so you've got the initial infringer which should have been a Simbin and the man that should have been Simbin ends up setting up the try. You have the Eels not line up correctly from for the you know defensive uh, posturing in case the ball is deflected, which it ended up being. And then you had South's offside from the actual kick itself which should have facilitated a, re, a retry of the penalty attempts. And then, you know, the unfortunate Eels couldn't recover from there. Yep, yep. Yeah, so again, it was was one of those uh, situations where you had errors that 
Parramatta made that is still the backbone of where the loss came in and compounded by um, a, a couple of crucial refereeing errors because you'd have to yeah. say that that the failure to sin bin was a significant error from oh, the referee. Absolutely, but this was definitely a case of where, like you said, the the officiating errors augmented the underlying issues in Parramatta. And I think that this game, in a way, was a microcosm of our season where there was so much good, but there was also, like, self-destruction. There was, you know, some officiating woes and just the drama from the Jennings stuff as well. Like, the, it, it was like it perfectly encapsulated our journey this year where ultimately we could, just couldn't get out of our own way. Yeah, and it's... I, I, when I, I was trying to think of the right words straight after the game that left me frustrated about our own performance, which was, I, I kept coming back to attention to detail, yep. where the even some of the the better players in the Eels team, like Gutho... Yeah, it had just had that one moment. There was, they had that one there was, moment. There's enough and, one moments per, per player, yes. and it adds up so quickly. Yeah, yeah. And in any game, in any team you're going to get players that are making errors. And it just seemed to be that it, it each one of ours translated into, uh, as I said before, us. significant <laughs> significant punishment yes. straight afterwards. You know, Gutho fumbles that ball. It pops up and perfectly. Immediately into a try, yeah. Could, have yeah. Gone, could have gone for a line dropout, but no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So and there's... There, there is... Strategically, there's a lot I want to praise about this team because they did some stuff that we've never seen before. I'm talking about there was an attempt to like we we tried to facilitate a one-one strip with the old fall-away tactics of Reagan Campbell Gillard. We went for short dropouts and short restarts from the the trial um from the halfway line. Like there is a lot that we brought out in this game that is really encouraging. It's good game theory. It it was really positive. But then, like you said, just there was enough individual moments that not only were they errors that turned possession and territory, but they immediately swung on the scoreboard, and that's just so hard to overcome. Yeah, and this is... And yet, at the same time, as I'm talking about errors, and there's things that are in, in our control that we didn't, those those little errors, the, we're heading towards something that is an easy fix, because yeah. the... Because crucially, you can you can get we we got the team playing close to where they need to be able to play, which is essentially to the strengths of the team. And we're going to get into the the players that performed well last night before we talk about the players that didn't perform well. But we've got the coaches getting the team to play to their strengths. We've got them scoring what in a lot of circumstances, especially last year, would have been enough points to win any any finals match. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, our errors, individual errors, and that's what we're talking about. We're talking about individual errors. We're not talking about team errors. There are maybe a couple of team errors, but yes, but a couple on, of crucial, a couple of couple of crucial moments. individual yes. errors. Yeah, yeah. And as I said, you can go. You can go through games where some of the blokes that made errors, like like Gutho, wouldn't make an error like that in, no. in in a string of games, and then 
it happens in that now. As I said, that can happen in any in any game. It just so happened that it it just happened with too many players at the same time last night. I don't know whether it's a case of they were just busting the gut that much that it it fell that way in the game. But as I said, we're trending in the right direction in terms of the team playing to its strengths and individual errors. You can't eliminate them, but you, you also, you, you just want the players just, uh, I don't know whether it's just getting that little bit more out of their performance, but we we are really on the cusp of the team being able to achieve something more than they have. And I think, well, I think it's we're... Just, it's a little push. That's where, that's how yeah, far that's we it, are from yeah. now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So we're talking here recruitment. We're talking here just fine tuning the existing roster. You know, just the the sort of the mental approach in a given game. Just those those little tweaks, and you know, and all, that's all it takes to go from where we are right now to winning a grand final. That, that that's how close it is. Yeah. So uh, for you, mate, let's um, let's get to your takes on the big performers last night. Yeah, I mean, I don't think you can start. Or um, end the discussion without looking at. I think the two that really jumped off me, off the screen for me were Junior Paulo and Quinton Gufferson. Um, Paulo was just otherworldly, and if that doesn't secure him a state of origin berth, he will never play state of origin on his own merits because he was so good. That that was so so good. You know, you, you saw him laying on a try for Jun- uh, for Junior Paulo for Quinton Gufferson with that uh, delayed spin and, and offload that was you know beautiful. Um, like I said before, he he left Cody Walker grasping at thin air. There's 120, like 120, 130 kilo prop left the like the most electrifying five eight in the NRL. Like flabbergasted, bamboozled, like you know, just had no idea where he was defending. Um, and on on top of that, he was just you know passing with a plum in the red zone. He was offloading. Um, you know, I wouldn't have been surprised if he started kicking. You know, in the red zone and getting flying dropouts and tries. And then on the other hand, you had Quinton Gufferson. Who had um, a hand in and two tries of his own, of his own, <clears throat> sorry. And uh, there was like a sequence of events in the first half where he'd you know gone try try, uh, set up a line break, and then even at the end of the second half when there was about five forward passes in that one sequence of play for South Sydney, and it still wouldn't have mattered if he hadn't caught any of them because Quentin Gufferson had cut down the guy at the line. So those two were just so good. Um, I want to shout out uh, the rookie Hayes Dunster, who the stats weren't amazing for him. I'm not going to sugarcoat that. 10 runs for 61 metres is, it's it's tough sledding for the young kid. But um, he made a number of really good defensive decisions, including an awesome jam in the second half that forced an error. Um, he had the one the one uh, <laughs> rookie moment where he dropped the ball coming off his own line. But um, South City went after him with the high ball and he passed that test of a plum. So he did quite well there. I thought George Dennings did a great job coming in you know, after playing for New Zealand a number of weeks ago and then not seeing some action. He worked his ass off, 16 runs for 140 metres, scored a double as well. And then from there, there was like, you know, some solid contributors. You know, Reg was fine. Um, he was probably better than fine. That's probably doing him a disservice. But, um, uh, you know, Reed had some good moments. Um, Ryan Madison, I thought, was really solid and could have benefited from having more ball. Um, Nathan Brown was his usual self. And uh, I think that's the, the end of the, the really good performance for me. Yeah, I have to concur about Junior Paulo. I don't know if there's been too many occasions where I've seen a front rower's performance quite like he turned in last night. Uh, just before he set up that try to uh, Gutho, 
I turned to uh, my mates that were there with me last night and I said, a big moment from Junior's coming. And, <laughs> and he when he delivered, it. Yep. He, he literally provided it within Silver 20 seconds. That, yep. Within 20 seconds of me coming out with that statement. And, and I, I, you just, I've seen, I've seen enough of him, not only during the games, but what he works on at training to know that he was, he was about to deliver something in the, in the red zone there. He, he was, uh, you use the world other, you use the term otherworldly. And I don't think I can come up with anything that better encapsulates how he performed last night. It'd be, it'd be a disservice to call this a breakout year for junior. Cause as Parramatta fans, we've been well aware of his talents since his first tenure at the club. But I think if it's not a breakout year, I think this is the year that the rest of the league becomes fully aware of just how good he is. And so he's now in the elite echelon of props. And I think the, the, you know, you'll be understandable if the wider NRL base has someone like Josh Papali ahead of him who's been absolutely incredible this year and had a sensational finals game against the Roosters on Friday night. But he's definitely now in that category. He is. You, you talk about the best props in the game at their best yeah, you know, you're talking about the Papawis. You're talking about as much as I hate to say his name because he's an asshole, Adam Fanua Blake. Uh, you know, and now you're talking about the Junior Polo in there as well. And yeah, he, yeah. He is and just he's just that good. He Junior brings a different element yes. to everyone else because when you when you mention Papali, he just rumbles away. Yeah. And I know he had that instance where he he ran down. Uh, Jamal one, one Fogarty. One-time parameterial Jamal Fogarty, yes. Yes, um, at, which showed amazing uh, pace for a fellow his size. But he's not really known for his stepping and the way he, – he's he's more with that uh, ability to get the ball away under uh, freakish circumstances when he's in the contact. And Junior's got that in his game, but Junior can play like the – a, a halfback or five eight in the way he links mm-hmm. with the backs and and the way that he can step and uh, he's got a whole lot more to his his kit bag. He has a kicking game which uh, is has been noted in my uh, post on him and has been quoted since then in in the media the sort of displays that he'll put on at, at training with that, but. Uh, when it comes to front row performances, I think he he stands out on his own for his unique brand of skills. Now, just just back to others that caught my eye, obviously Gutho, he was playing at the most extraordinary captain's knock last night, literally carrying the emotions and the effort of the team, uh, driving it. Just, sorry, not carrying it. He was just driving it all game. Uh, I'm going to rate Nathan Brown's performance quite highly because I thought it was one of those games where he was relentless as well, just kept driving in for multiple carries in sets, yeah. uh, throwing throwing himself in, in into the defence. He it was it was quite a remarkable performance from him. Reg, I, I put up there quite highly and Ryan Madison. And really, we're talking about the uh, the team members who were the strength of the Eels last night. Uh, I, I'm not ruling out others in terms of 
decent performances, but they're the ones that stood out for me. But now we also have to talk about the the players that didn't quite hit the mark last night. Yeah, and so, so I'll let you lead off there, mate. There, there's a couple of ways to approach it. I think there's the players that you know just had a bad game, and you're willing to let that slide even if it hurts your heart because they, they you know we dropped out of the finals on the back of it. There's the players that have you know, almost like systematically now let the eels down and we've, we've called them out before on the podcast and they're going to get caught out again. They're very disappointing, but, you know, for some for some it's the end of the journey at Parramatta, which is a good thing. And then I think there's also an element of, you know, I'm going to stick it to Brad a little bit because I feel like there is a selection to be made that maybe hurt the team then where you could have picked someone else more deserving of a spot. So let's start with the guys that, like, had a bad game, just had a bad game. And I think we're talking about Dylan there. And I say he had a bad game. He had 18 runs for 165 metres. He, he left it out there on the field, and it, was, it, it wouldn't be a sudden death elimination final for Parramatta. It was about Dylan Brown making an absolute pearl of a grass-cutter cut-down tackle and cover the fence. And he had one of those again last night. Down the left edge, he, he mowed down... Was it Campbell Graham? No. I'm, I'm trying to think who it might have been for South Sydney. Maybe it was... Um, yeah, it would have been Campbell Graham or Alex Johnston. Uh, he had no right to make the tackle when he saves a try. But um, unfortunately, the second half, we, we already mentioned it, but Dill had the intercept where we were chasing two scores and he tried to get the ball to Takarangi and create the um the line break and it just got plucked out of the air. And then he also, following that, just dropped the ball cold, trying to um get you know ahead of himself, organising himself you know into the defensive line. So Dill had a, a bad game and that, that that's it. I'm not going to criticise the young man. He he certainly didn't leave anything in the tank. Um, I don't know about Mitchell Moses, mate. Um, I feel like you know he, he sort of probed the line at times, and you know his long kicking game was very good, but uh, I don't think he had a good game. I don't know if he had a bad game, and I know that fans are going to are going to pile on him onto him this year because in the back half of the season he just didn't have the juice coming back from that calf injury. But yeah, what what, what do you think about Mitch? Well, I, I I'm gonna just cover the two players that you you covered there with. Um, Dylan and Mitch, I thought that if you were to take out those two errors that Dylan made, I thought he had a really good game. Yeah, that's how pivotal they were, I suppose, that it's easy yeah. to, to spoil your opinion of him. But like I said, he, he the, the numbers are phenomenal. He obviously left everything on the table, out in the field there for us. You know, he didn't come out in that game with petrol left in the tank. But, um, you know, just once again, it's a learning experience for a young man who is usually so cool under pressure. Yeah, yeah, it was... The, the intercept was really a case of trying to push something yeah, I, to happen. I'm, but, not, I'm not upset about the intercept. Uh, yeah. like that, that is, like I said, chasing two scores with the clock, like putting pressure on you, you got to take chances. And yeah. he took and, a chance uh, and unfortunately South Sydney you know, read it. Yeah, and uh, with with Mitch, it was, again, I'm, I'm going to go very close to, agree, to agreeing with you because I thought that, it was, it, it was a game where I don't know that I could pull out too much criticism of him, but it was, it was also a game where uh, I thought he had quite a good first half and threatened a number of times in the first half. I suppose this is but, where the knock is on him. That was a game there to be won. Yeah. And that, that's almost a, a signature moment in his career if he can bring the Eels to victory there. And he, yeah. he wasn't there to do it. And so the sort of it feeds into the narrative that he's not a big game player. Yeah. So he's, I think when it came down to it, he was, he was probably very much uh, blaming himself 
after the game for um, the misconversion. The the misconversion and and I wonder in that last period of the game whether that played in his head that moment. It was um, so. Uh, I'm I'm going to say that it was it was one of those games where yes, maybe you would have liked him to have stood up a little bit, but there was also so many moments where he, he just nearly cracked that line yeah. where someone got him yeah. like just last minute. And he, I remember there was one memorable moment where he, it, it was literally a, a, an ankles tackle that got him as he was cutting through the line and he had Wanga Blake screaming through in support and I've no doubt that he busts the line and we're talking about a, a, a crucial try at a crucial time in the in the second half. So um yeah. but I, I, I think I think there's a couple of other players that we need yeah, to speak so about. I agree one hundred percent. And going down the, the sort of the team sheet in order, the one that really disappointed me last night and he's been guilty of, of cruising throughout the season and not, you know, getting into high gear as Sean Lane. And he had a great yeah. game last week, but he's just been so spotty, so inconsistent. And lo and behold, he backs up a great game last week with a very, very ordinary performance last night. Yeah, there's no, there's no escaping that it was ordinary from the drop early on. And and yes, it seemed like he might have redeemed, been down the path of redeeming himself when he put on the pass that that uh, led to the spectacular try mm. in the first half last night. But that early drop was a concern. And then it was a sequence of, um, I don't know, non-committal. Yeah, would you say that thing. his game it, was non-committal? It, non-committal, just like not not being there in the right spot defensively, not rolling, like you know, rolling up into gear in attack with Morton Hand. It was just, I, I think him and Michael are both guilty of cruising in their second years at the club, and yeah. it's frustrating. And so, like, you're not expecting second year syndromes from you know, well. Mike is not exactly a storied vet. He's essentially a rookie. So he gets somewhat of a pass, like, uh, not a pass, Mike, but a uh, pass concede there in terms of, you know, the game, the grind getting up with him maybe. But Sean Lane's been around the NRL and he, know, he knows what it takes. And unfortunately, you know, the Heels needed him to be on their game. We spoke about this in the preview. We talked yes. about how Lane and Madison had to be on their game and really test South Sydney. And Madison did it. Madison was breaking tackles every run. And uh, to the point, I'm now, I'm torn with our offensive structure because Garfison is so good as a playmaker and we, we need him in certain spots and games to be the edge playmaker. And we also need him to be the primary kick chaser often on a bomb. But I think I, I watched Dylan Brown and Ryan Madison play and they're breaking and half breaking the line. Like they're breaking tackle and half breaking the line almost every carry. And if they just had Garfison on their, on their hips, it, it feels like an automatic line break. And yeah. so maybe that's something worth looking at. But like I said, Garfison also plays a key part in our edge structures in the in the like the follow up sequences to when we go down an edge, so it, it's yep. not it's not as simple as saying hey Guffo go follow them because then it completely it doesn't like you'd have to completely overhaul your game plan is what I'm trying to say, but yeah yeah and uh, I we spoke off Mike with Bernie with the preview and I highlighted a passage at training that I'd observed. Mm, mm, mm. We, that surrounded Sean Lane, and it had to do with BA's coaching method with Sean Lane, where they'd been working on some plays, and Dylan Brown and 
Mitch Moses had been spending time with Joey Johns and then BA called the halves over for some plays on each side of the field for them. And when he called Dylan over, rather than say, rather than telling Dylan what he wanted from him, he told Sean Lane to explain to Dylan what his involvement would be in the play and what the what was going to happen with the play. Now that's that is one oh one for a, a teacher to get. A, a student to explain to a, a, another student. It shows you how deep the understanding of the, the initial student yeah. is of that whatever concept you're talking about. Yeah. Yes, and it keeps the it it keeps that student in more heavily um, involved in mm-hmm. what's happening within the classroom. And so, in the training context that you've got there, you've got Sean Lane, who was a, a crucial part of the plays that they were working on. And he's he's there having to explain to Dylan Brown what his involvement will be and what will unfold with the play, which then keeps his um, mind focused on what his job is as well. And it also checks to see whether it's whether it's actually sunk in the uh, the importance of his role within the play. Mm-hmm. So it was a it was a really good coaching moment to watch. And it was, I'm not sure whether it's indicative of that he, he selected Sean Lane to deliver that uh, explanation that maybe he's thinking, okay, he needs, to, he needs to be fully focused this week. I need him really thinking about his own role within the team. But uh, it was an interesting coaching moment. And unfortunately, like you, I don't believe that Sean Lane got close to delivering what he needed to last night. No. And and I'll come back to that word that I used before, non-committal. I, I really thought it was a game where he just did not commit himself to the to the performance as he should have. And, so uh, uh, let we've we've got him mentioned there. Um, can I throw the name Kane Evans at you? Yeah, and Kane Evans is going to be the big one for me. And I think this is also, an, in, a, in a sense, an indictment on Brad Arthur for the selection of Kane Evans because Kane Evans has <laughs> has not had a great back end to the season. And he's had some games, I think there was a period where he, he ended up starting over junior because they were looking to freshen up the, rota- the rotation. And he had a couple of okay games then. But he has just let the eels down week after week. Um, and... Right, going back to I think the loss against Penrith, maybe it's just been all downhill. And he just I'll, I'll, can I narrow it down even further for you? I'm going to put it down to the from the time that he signed with the Warriors. Oh yeah, sorry, no, he, he he was like mediocre for that entire period, but like from Penrith, it has been like actual detriment to the team, um, and that didn't change last night. Um, I will, I mean, I'll have to look at the tape again, but I'm fairly certain the Liam Knight tries on him. Because he was just flat-footed on the goal line, didn't pressure Damien Cook by moving up, which forced Dylan to gun from marker, which then created the gap back up um, behind the ruck for Liam Knight to just dive over, uh, and you know had almost zero impact with the ball in hand. Um, just it, you talk about non-committal. Um, just Kane wasn't there defensively. You can you can levy it's way too many points at him where he was getting sloppy around the ruck, 
You know, we I think we're talking about the New Zealand game. Roger Tuivasa-Shek uh, made a line breaking back behind the ruck where Kane just was you know caught napping. And there's been too many instances of that throughout that run to the finals. And I look at someone like Oregon Kafusi, who I know has got an, had an error in him in the back end of the season, but effort has never been a, a problem of his. And he's always applied himself defensively. And I just can't justify picking someone like Kane over. You're talking about a 15-minute stint here. Kane played 15 minutes because, as we expect, the junior poor 64 and Reagan Campbell go at 57 uh, were leverage, leverage for big minutes this game because they're, the drop-off when they're off the field is huge. So... I look at the 50 minutes from Kane and that just disappoints it, oh, I, I don't want to talk about it. Yeah, yeah. And I think because we, we need to, we will be touching on this when we're talking about the season review, is that I think it highlighted that our options with middle forwards got skinnier as the year went on because you highlighted... Oregon's errors and unfortunately I think Oregon did himself a disservice where his his errors in shorter stints ended up costing him I think and um, like you I was at the point where I would not have selected Kane Evans and I, and I wouldn't have had a problem with Oregon being selected instead of Kane Evans because I'm a big fan of Oregon as you are but we we were starting to get into the territory where the the errors errors were counting against Oregon in his selection, and then and we've had it's almost like Kane would con us into believing yeah. that he's going to produce something big because every five or six weeks he'd have an outstanding game, and yeah. you go. Well, and especially the first half of the season. The first half but prior, of the season, he was his, really strong. To him getting banged up, uh, I think it was uh, um, before the Roosters game, right? He didn't play against the Roosters, if I recall correctly. Um, and he was really good. He was scoring like a, a try every other week. Um, was running with Venom off the bench. And then the contract stuff started. And yeah. the, the prolonged contract saga, I don't know if it played in his mind or if it was just adjacent to something else. And his, his form just fell off completely. And with Kane, we've seen that before. He, if he doesn't apply himself, the, the errors and the lapses and the lack of uh, of just, you know, intensity quickly, you know, peter out and, and are a detriment to his overall game. And, yeah. And like you said, from there, it was one good game or great game for every three or four uh, subpar or flat-out awful games. And just he just did enough to hold on to a place in first grade. And I think that, you know, it obviously wasn't a reason why we lost. Uh, last night, but it certainly contributed to it. And for Parramatta, it's frustrating because you look at someone like Penny Trepo, who would have been a serviceable replacement to him, and unfortunately Penny's been out for personal reasons for the vast majority of the season, and if I'm not mistaken, he was on the uh, the, the list of players being farewell by the club. So, yes. Um, you know, that that's a, a senior player right there, but Penny, you know, for all his warts, you know, brings the juice and the energy off the bench, and yes, he's got an error in him, but you never accuse him of not trying his ass off. And same thing, obviously, with the Eels' best interchange forward, Murata um, Niakori, who was suspended. And I'm not, I'm not complaining about the suspension. Like I said in the prior podcast, I'm completely on board with um, him being done for a crusher because I think that was a textbook crusher. But, you know, that's a that guy, I, I've said a lot, but he brings the juice. Like when Murata comes on, you know it. Like you go, wait, who, if you're opposite fan, you're like, who's that? Is that number 15 for Parramatta? Like, well, geez, he's tearing in. And that, like last night's the game where Murata comes on and, and he just. There isn't as big a fall off, and 
unfortunately the fall off was significant. Yeah. Um, yes. In in terms of Bent's Bent's bench composition, um, I wasn't a huge fan of carrying both uh, Raystone and Will Smith. But then again, you look at the options and what what was there. I think Oregon probably should have got a look in. Um, you know, maybe you could argue for Daniel Alvaro or, or David Gower. But you know, Stoney Stoney's been a, a awesome for us this year, and you know, Will Smith was there for emergency. I, I think that Will Smith was probably the more expendable player, and it, it would have been a tough call though. So yeah, yeah, and I in in retrospect, in hindsight, probably go with Pollock or Oregon that have been Evans. I understand the logic behind going with Kane Evans, but after what we saw last night and after the, if you put it into the totality of his back half of the season, I'd, I'd probably go with about three or four other options yeah. outside of outside of Kane, but it is I what mean, it I, is. I was at the point where I would have taken the rookie semis over Kane at some <laughs> points, but um, coaching's not an easy gig and, like we say so often, we're not partial to the full story. We don't know. Obviously, even if you go into training, we don't know the full story. Um, there, yeah. there is so much that the coaches and, and all the trainers see in terms of athletic performance and and uh, <clears throat> self-management that you know goes into selection. So, like I said, I, I wasn't a fan of Brad picking Kane, but there is obviously a, a context to that. And, you know, f- <laughs> thankfully, I mean, he, he gave us a lot of great games. I'm going to, you know, not not do him the, the, the wrong of not, you know, mentioning a couple of the really great games he had it for us. And, you know, we're talking well over 150 metres, you know, a week throughout the first four games of the season off the bench. And then even in 2019 where he bounced back from that horror 2018, you know, he, he turned things around and that's a credit to him, but he's New Zealand's issue now. Um, yeah. That, that, unfortunately, I think that's a great recruitment for him. Yeah. Um, and, and if we look at that first, the early part of the season, when Reg and Junior went off, oh, absolutely. Yeah. we weren't losing too much in terms of the momentum. Certainly with skill set with Junior, we were missing that, but we weren't losing too much in terms of momentum yeah, when it Brent, came to when you brought on um, Kane, uh, Murata, and Penny. It was like yeah. it was really putting teams on the back foot off the back of the initial uh, effort from Junior and Reg. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And now, if we had that, I, sorry, here you go. No, no, go. Oh, uh, I was going to say, if we, if we had that, like the run back in the run to the finals, I think we're a completely different team. Yeah, yeah. Now, um, I, I just wanted to mention something really briefly because it, it was it was something that pissed me off a little bit at the start of the game last night. It wasn't significant in the context of the game, but these are NRL staged finals, so you get NRL uh, appointed ground announcers and uh, the staging is NRL staged. So the announcer last night, <laughs> it would not have come across on the broadcast, but let me give you an example of of what you were getting from him. And he, he'd say, and on the wing for the South Sydney Rabbitohs, Jackson Polo. Oh no, the fake hype man. And on, oh, no. and on the and on the wing for the Parramatta Reels, George Jennings. <laughs> at, <laughs> at, at number nine for the South Sydney Rabbitohs, Damian Cook. Who's whose home game was it again? Four and for the Parramatta Reels, Reed Barney. I mean, it it, it was literally. <laughs> 
as stark as that. I kid you not. I, I believe he may have been a, a South Sydney Rabbitohs fan, <laughs> but you'd have to be excused to think that to you would have had to have been thinking that it was a South Sydney Rabbitohs home match. I'm not talking about home finals. I'm talking about a home match. The contrast in that was it was absolutely absurd. Uh, and as I said, I just meant, I just wanted to mention that as an aside, <laughs> because having having travelled down to Melbourne in 2017 and seeing all the fanfare that was there for Cameron Smith Hashtag and everything, yeah, and it was everything was staged around him and and it was almost like oh and by the way Parramatta's here today that was that was literally what it was like down there and I'm thinking okay now this time we've got a home match at Bankwest Stadium and it was just as I said it was just a little thing but it, it was enough that I was like what the hell is this about so um anyway I just wanted to mention that quickly mm-hmm. um now the uh, we, we touched on Jennings a little bit before. What I wanted to say on that was that although there were a, a couple of moments that we could pick where the replacement players for Jennings, Sevo, and Fergo were there was a couple of errors around them. I did not think that missing those players was the reason for the loss last night. No, and it takes us to a, a good junction in our discussion because I was actually going to talk about the game of Wanga Blake and, and also Brad Dakarangi, who was very serviceable last night. Now, Wanga's numbers weren't great. Um, four runs for 42 metres, and uh, I think he made 20 tackles, missed five, so 75% uh, tackle effectiveness. He also had a one brain-numbing area where he made a line break and decided to try and force a pass to Mitchell Moses on the inside, which was then batted backwards and scooped up by South Sydney. But all season we've been tearing our hair out because Wong has been a liability out on the edge. And uh, he goes from spending the entire week training to play on the wing to morning game day. You're going back to centre Wonga, and not only that, we're going to be slapping a, a rookie outside you. Um, he defended quite well. Like I know he, 75% tackle efficiency is not you know amazing, but for centres, they tend to leave uh, those sort of numbers on the board because they're posted up on ISO situations and end up, you know, either having ineffective or missed tackles that are covered up by their wingers or fullbacks. Um, yeah. The, wh- what do we make of our edge defense? Because up against the hottest attacking team in the competition, the same team that spanked us 38-0 last time we met, I, I know that we end up conceding a lot of points, but I feel like a lot of that was incidental in terms of the edges. Uh, there was one moment where, even though there was, a, we actually had a scrum, like a, where it was a tight head, so we didn't have the feed, and it was South's first points, I believe. And we actually misnumbered up three on four. So we had the we created the man overlap on ourselves. But uh if Janko had just or Janko if George Jennings had just stayed out in his man, I think Tacker had the um his opposing center on the slide. So the yes. edge the edge defense was there. What what do we make of that? Was that all the boys getting up for one game? Was that an adjustment from the coaches? Because were we playing more slide defense or was it still up and in? Well I I think it um there's two ways that I look at this. First of all, I've spoken before and said that what happens outside is a is an indicator of what's happening inside. And I thought that in uh, let's let's rule out 
that run of tries that came towards the end because that that I mean when you are talking about of, you're talking about an intercept try, you're talking about Mitchell Moses kicking for himself and this this is an attack on Mitch. He you know, he yeah. had he had to try and do something. Getting getting tripped by the ref. Yeah, how often do you see that man? And then Damian Cook going out and scoring. You know, you're talking about twelve to eight, tw- easy twelve points there that are, were consequent, like inconsequential in terms of the result, but it affects. And, and, and also that that kick come flying off um, Gutho trying to clean it up. Yeah. So you're you're talking about three tries where you're not going to be throwing a whole lot of blame at the at the defensive structures. With the mm-hmm. with those tries, so um, so taking those aside, the work that was happening inside the those the outside men was a lot better. Then I also want to talk about the combinations. So you talked about Wanga and Hayes Dunster on the right hand side, and there were people who were thinking this is going to get really ugly yeah, over that side. And the Rabbitohs went not, the Rabbitohs went through quite a bit at that side of, of the Eels defense. And even if, even if there was half breaks made, the scramble was there. And on other occasions, the, it was just straight out shut down. So I, you have to come back and think that the, the talk between, there's something, has been missing in the talk between Wanga and Fergo throughout the year because, and maybe it was a case of Wanga lifted his game because he had a rookie outside of him. Maybe it, it had him focusing on his communication a lot better. Mm. Uh, maybe he's making a, a lot better um, calls himself because he's taking it on himself. It, it's hard to say there. Uh, the other side, I was expecting that that Tacker was going to do a good job of communicating, and as you said, that first try would not have happened if George had have stayed on his winger, and and, and should have trusted that Tacker had the fullback uh, uh, covered in in that particular play there. So, um, yeah, my my take is that it maybe it exposed the communication aspects with uh, Wanga and Fergo and mm. maybe it also exposed that Micah when the tries have been scored on his side because George made a similar error to Micah that it, it's a matter of the winger not doing what he what he should have been doing, whether that be George or Micah. Yeah, and that raises an interesting point of like how much it is the coaches versus the players, because you've got to feel like the coaches were on top of this in terms of you don't see this try scored against us, and, and you know the coaches can't just ignore that. So I feel like the winners yeah. are sort of ignoring, and I, I say they're ignoring their assignments. They're put on a spot where you got a split second decision to make: am I going to come in or am I going to stay out? And you know it feels like you're going to be damned if you do, damned if you don't at times. But obviously they're just they're not necessarily making the right course, which is a you know, just a fine-tuning thing, which comes back to that whole, you know, off-season approach where we've got to tidy up this stuff, you know, tidy up the errors, tidy up the, the defensive decision-making out wide. And, yeah, I mean, for Wanga, it was very encouraging because this was a game where everyone in their dog thought that he was going to get it carved up and he managed to do a respectable job defensively. But it needs to be more than just one game, right? Oh, Cause we saw look, against, absolutely. We saw absolutely. It in the, against the Melbourne Storm in the regular season, Wanga had a great game defensively. 
And we were hoping that he turned the corner and then it turned out he didn't. Um, so, and I will say this, um, I, assuming knock on wood here, that he came out of this game unscathed. Um, and naturally, of course, it would be coming into an abbreviated preseason. But I feel like this would be the first time he'll get a, a uninhibited, ready to go from day one preseason for Parramatta. Because he, yeah. he's had injuries and whatnot in the last two preseasons, if I'm not mistaken. Well, he 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 joined us uh, on from, the back of from Penrith with the knee injury. Yeah, yeah, and then he had the uh, shoulder it was the shoulder injury. shoulder yeah. injury after the 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 uh, World Nines. Yeah, and um, just now, just on this, and and we will be covering this in a lot more detail, but it highlights the conundrum that we're in going forward around Jennings because we've got the scenario where if things play out as they are expected to, the career of Michael Jennings is over. And I don't want to get too much into that because he's he's claiming his innocence. And yeah, and you, you always give the, the man his chance to have his day in court or the uh, whatever the, the, sort of the process is for Asada. But like I said, the track record of guys that have said that they're innocent you know, it, it, there are B samples that come back and, you know, it turns out it was a tainted A sample or there was an error in the process, but it, it is very rare. So Yeah. So we've got him uh, going forward as as more than likely uh, he's, he's not there for us. That's one centre. And we're going to talk about the announced departures, but Brad Takarangi was, uh, was amongst the announced departures. And obviously, that had been decided prior to the injury yes. to uh, prior to the ruling out of Michael Jennings. And then we've also had what I've been calling for, which was the move of Wonga Blake from centre to wing, and that was that was due to take place this week. And I can tell you that he looked a really good proposition out on the wing from what was seen at training, and. Now, where are we left? We're, we're left without uh, potentially needing to recruit at least one, possibly two centres. So we have the scenario with, is there a rethink on Brad Takarangi? Oh, quite possibly. There's the signing. The, the signing has pretty much been confirmed, uh, if not officially. Tom it, it seems like it's done deal with Tom Opacic. And he's going to be so, – he'll, he'll be a serviceable centre. But he's not, yeah. he's not a I – mean, Maybe we don't need stars at centre because we just got you know a good enough roster elsewhere, but we certainly need bodies in the spots. So I mean Jen- Jennings, I assume Jennings cap space queers automatically because he'd be in breach of his contract, right? Uh, yeah. By using performance enhancing drugs, whether he's guilty or not, I, I think he could come back and if he's found innocent, he could then get his reparations from the NRL. But I assume Parramatta now have his cap space off the books. And I assume that Kings would be on not on insane money, but on reasonable money, because when he re-upped with Parramatta earlier this year, he was in career best form. And obviously, if the the jokes about performance enhancing drugs aside, you know, he, he's taking up a bit of cap space, and I, I think it'd be in the vicinity of four hundred thousand dollars for a year. So the the Eels would have a bit of money to play with there. But the problem is, who are you going to go get? So and the yeah, other, and, other thing and is, of course the other thing is too how quickly that decision is made because. He remains on our books until the uh, B sample confirms guilt or innocence. And in that scenario, you've got the club in limbo 
the players in limbo, the clubs in limbo. Does the club go ahead and sign someone and throw their throw their money into a position where they spend more than they intended on a centre? Um, does the does the club buy more centres and then they uh, a service by far too many in that position when they have needs elsewhere. For example, uh, I would think the back row is is an issue as well as the centre. Um, maybe another middle forward as well. So it's it's a uh, it's a really awkward position that the the Jennings case has has, yeah. has left the club in. So. Um, yeah, uh, I, uh, rather than spend too much time talking about it now, we'll we'll put that aside for our our. Yeah, because there's, there's also considerations the internally. You look at someone like Viliamo Penasini, and does he come into the calculations? Um, you know, so the, it's a it's a big quandary for the club now, and it's something that, like I said, th- this is a huge off season that's going to define the Parramatta Eels as a not not just like you know finals regulars, but if they're going to be a big dog and and go deep into the finals and contend for the the big dance itself. So, like you said, that that's more of a, a 2021 preview or looking ahead podcast. Um, yeah, which sort of takes us to any sort of general thoughts on the game, mate. Yeah, well, uh, again, I, I have to come back to a game that we've. So can we can we actually go just before we go on to our final thoughts on the game? Can we get to the farewell announcements? Yeah, but it's probably a good conversation point. So uh, the Eels, if I can just go find this list, they announced 11 players departing. Am I correct? Yes. And so some of them were expected. Um, some of them weren't so much. I'm just trying to find – someone made the list for me last night. There, there was there was uh, 10 players who – Part okay, of I'll just the, go. I'll, I'll go off the um the team with the team like the parameter yeah. slash team. So, from the ones I know, it was Brad Takarangi. Yes. Uh, was George Jennings on the list? No, no. So, uh, Jamin Salmon, Jay Field. Uh, was Will Smith on the list? No, no. So those two, there. You had Andrew Davy, uh, David Gower, Kane Evans, obviously, uh, Penny Trepo. Uh, Stefano. Stefano was Reese Davies on the list. Yes, and then uh, Kyle Schneider as well, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, and you also had uh, uh, Watson Halita. Watson Halita, yes, who unfortunately we never got to see this year because he broke his jaw in the nines, and then COVID sort of robbed him of any chance to play his way into considerations. So, that's yeah. The, so I'm I'm just seeing. Uh, here we go. So, um, there was. Uh, Evans, Andrew Davy, um, Stefano, uh, Brad Takarangi, Guy uh, Gower, Jay Field, Jamin Salmon, Watson Alita, Kyle Schneider, Reese Davies, Penny Terrapo. Now we we don't know whether a couple of those might be offered a New South Wales Cup contract. I'm not. I'm not ruling that out mm-hmm. for the likes of Watson, a leader in Cole Schneider, but in terms of uh, and maybe even Reese Davy, 
But in terms of the uh, top 30 contracts, there's at least nine places that are available. Mm -hmm. And it raises an interesting topic, which, again, might be something that we explore a little bit more in our season review, that promotions from within are going to be a little bit more challenging with there being no lower grades. So you either are going to be filling nine places externally, which is a a really big number, yeah. or you are going to have that mixture of upgrades from uh, the young players coming through and external recruitments. And I think that's quite likely. So I think maybe the Parramatta supporters can expect that there will be a couple of young ones added to the lower end of the top 30. And to me, that makes sense because we've watched some of the young ones that have been doing their early pre-season in the, in the back end of this season. And there was a group of about eight or nine of them that will be brought in to do a pre-season. And within that eight or nine, there's only four development contract places and you've got eight or nine blokes that are that are probably deserving of being in the full-time squad. Maybe one or two won't make it, but I'm going to suggest that there's at least seven players that are really deserving of elevation. So it could be that there are two or three places in the top 30 that go to young places on the rise, uh, young players on the rise within the club. And I think that's probably a good thing because you're not talking about an older player forcing his way into the top 30 from reserve grade. You are talking about a young player who in all likelihood might have spent the back half of the season in the reserve grade team under normal circumstances, but this year didn't get that opportunity. So they will more than likely be the ones that will get the chance to be elevated into the top 30, perhaps a little bit quicker than uh, might be expected, but given the circumstances of this year, quite understandable. Yep. I agree, mate. And like we said, we we're going to cover this in the, the 2021 preview podcast, but there's a lot of work to do and it's exciting in a, in a way because, you know, seeing roster churn, from the position we're in where it's, you know, it, it's to go upwards is always encouraging. But Mark O'Neill, Brad Arthur and the rest of the recruitment retention committee are going to have a very, very busy off-season. They're not going to get any holidays, I, I dare say, in the coming weeks because they've got the burn of midnight oil and get these top 30 and D6 spots locked in. Yes, well, except they're now D4. Well, that's right, that's right. So presumptively <laughs> presumptively D4, right, because they're cutting down on the, um, uh, the roster spots in light of the the COVID uh, restrictions on, on the NRL earnings. Yeah. Yeah. So mate, time to, time to wrap up. Yeah. I like we, like I said earlier, the game was a microcosm of Parramatta's season in many ways, which is oh so frustrating, but there was some genuine bright lights in there. Um, the first half of the Parramatta Eels was electric. Um, you know, Quentin Gufferson and Junior Paul both really forged their state of origin claims. And I wouldn't be shocked to see both of them. And even Ryan Madison, in the mix, I, I leave out Reg's name because I feel like it'll be one Parramatta prop, not both. And I think that if you're going with one Parramatta prop, you, you can't go 
um, look past Junior Paulo. As good as Reg has been, and he has, at times he has been so, so good for us. Um, Junior just is, I think he, he's got the, the, the momentum selection-wise. There's a bit of a narrative now in the media. I think that if you listen to commentators, Junior's name has sort of been elevated, and that makes a difference when it comes to selections. Um, unfortunately, like, you know, for better or worse, there is a absolute influence the media has on this sort of stuff. So yeah, um, it, this game is going to haunt the team. You you know that they're going to look at the they're going to sit down and do the tape on this because they're going to have their their Mad Monday, and I assume it's going to be a relatively tame one. Um, but they're going to do have the Mad Monday, do the tape on this, and they're going to look at God, we shot ourselves in the foot. Like we we should know, not only have beaten South, we should have beaten them comfortably. And then you know, you, then you set up a, a matchup with Penrith, a team that is red hot, but you're also the only team that beat them. And you're like, we'd have a shot at that. And you know, so the big thing now is that they they look at the lessons of 2020 and and they they turn it into positives because they they were embattled throughout the season and and no one's going to say that the Eels had the worst injury toll because you look at some like you know, another contender in Newcastle that went through like four or five hookers and then there were just other teams in general that were battered and bruised. <clears throat> across the course of the season with more long-term injuries, but the Eels were so disrupted across the spine. Um, like we said before, you had Dylan Brown with syndesmosis. You had Mitchell Moses with a, a lingering calf injury. Reed Money got banged up with an AC joint injury. And all that stuff sort of, you know, contributed. But it's not an excuse. Um, it, it, like I said, it's a lesson. And the, the onus is now on the coaches and the players to take that lesson and learn from it. Yeah. Yeah, look, I, there's not too much that I can add to that because I said at the start that it was a game where we made crucial errors, we got punished for crucial errors. So in the context of the season, it's disappointing to bow out in the second week of the finals. It's something that we don't want to become a monkey on the back because – Again, there were reasons that were a little bit out of the eel's control. If I'm looking at growth, I'm saying that it was a different sort of bowing out in the second week of the finals. So moving forward, we've got to take it that one step more, that one step further. And I think the team during this season showed what their strengths are. I think going forward, it's a matter of, we need to add to those strengths. We need to make sure that we fully utilise those strengths and recruitment is going to be crucial to keeping the momentum going, but there is a strong foundation and lots to look forward to. I agree. And I'll just throw out there that some of the stuff I saw on the field in terms of coaching, I hope it wasn't a one-off. The the short restarts when Game Fury applied to chasing points was really encouraging to see. I did like the Eels going for the one. I, I hate the rule. But I did like the Eels attempting the one-on-one strips because if the rule lets you do it, you might as well join the you know the rest of the game and doing it. Um, and given that we've had our pockets picked a number of times this year, even if we didn't get it done, it was still good to attempt it. So yeah, there was lots of cool stuff there. And yes, it's very, very frustrating to bow out, like you said, in the week two of the finals again. But look, yeah, it's hard to talk about it, isn't it? Because it is frustrating and sort of you're left a little bit empty and vacuous. But... I'm not upset by this team. They, you know, they they overcame some big hurdles, and it is easy to forget how young the roster is in so many crucial positions. And that that can only be an excuse for so long. But when when they are that young, it is a still a legitimate excuse. You look at Reed, and you look at Dill, and and even Guff on Moses. You know, so 
big, big off season for the boys and for the coaches. So that's all I can say is I'm pretty pumped for 2021 and and uh, as it stands, it's going to be a action packed off season because there is not much of an off season with the uh, no. the the NRL finals going deeper into October than they would otherwise usually followed by a state of origin campaign that goes through no- like October November. Um, I, I actually don't understand how this is going to play out because players are mandated an eight week break under the CBA, and I, I assume that they can waive that if the um the uh, uh what's it called the the players union the come together and say it but yeah i don't think we've had clarification on exactly what it's going to mean for this off season and pre-season so i think it basically means that anyone involved in the origin comes back after christmas same as what will often happen in a world cup year that is so that is wild so this i mean this now puts you in the quandary where you want junior paul and quentin gufferson and ryan madison to be playing origin because it's going to be awesome for them to elevate their their individual games but I mean, and I, I trust all three of those guys to come back in shape because they're very focused and committed players. And, and you know, and, and Gufferson and Madison's case, almost psychotic about their preparation throughout the preseason. And that, that's not a slow. And Junior has obviously been in fantastic shape. But that that is a huge blow to clubs to not get players back until post-Christmas. It, as I said, it, it is very much like a World Cup year where you are going to have something in the in the vicinity of um, 50 plus players who will be part of the origin squads who won't return to their respective clubs for pre-season until after Christmas I think that probably spreads the impact reasonably across a lot of clubs and every club's got its hard luck story there'll probably be some that will point to this off-season slash pre-season when it comes to next year, if there's any failures next year, they'll look at that and they'll go, oh, we didn't get player X, Y or Z back till after Christmas. So there will be teams that will probably look back next year at those sorts of issues and say, well, it's going to be one of those years or it was one of those years and let's face it, COVID's been one of those years. So each team has their own struggles that they'll have to navigate and I don't think we can say that any one club is going to be affected more than anyone else at this stage. I think that uh, Randy Savage has a, a line on that, doesn't he? The cream always rises to the top. So if if um, Parramatta are good enough, they'll they'll do exactly what they did in 2020 but take it the next step in 2021. Yep. Alrighty. Well, mate, it's been a tough one today. So we're... um had a long podcast and for everyone that's hung in there thank you so much for listening we hugely appreciate everyone that takes the time to listen to us ramble on week in week out um it has been an absolute pleasure and we're not done um we're, we're going to go through the off season and i'm sure that we'll like we said there's going to be a season review a 2021 preview and if we get enough players featured in state of origin i dare say we might even have a chat about that at some point um but yeah it's been a wild ride it's been very fun i know that the um the trials and tribulations the ups and downs of you know jarred members of the the Parramatta fan base at times, understandably so. And as 60 started the podcast off with, there's also a jaded segment that, you know, don't want to be on, on board with anything. So for those that have listened and, and contribute to TCT and making it such a wonderful website for fans everywhere, I sincerely thank you for the journey uh, in 2020. It has been awesome. And like I said, when we're not, we're not finished. We're just getting done. And that's um both TCT and the Eels. So hang in there guys. Cheers mate. See ya.